17-year-old boy with his mother and father once came to visit me at my office and uh, I asked him some questions about um, school, about sports, about his life. And after giving me a little bit of an idea what his life was like, I asked him, tell me, what brings you here today? So he starts telling me a story of a very difficult life that he has. He, every time he has a headache, he thinks that he has a tumor. Every time he has a stomach ache, he feels he has an appendix. Every time he has a, f a pain in his groin, he feels that he has a hernia. And his mother says, yep, makes us take him to the hospital every time. So I said to him, Joey, tell me, this thing that you do every time that you have a certain pain, how it's exaggerated, and that you feel that it's the worst, what would you call that? So he looks at me and says, well, I know what my mom and my dad call it. I know what my uncles call it. I know what my siblings call it. I said, yeah, I understand that they have a name for it. I said, tell me what would you call it? Give me a name of what it feels like. He thinks for a minute and he says, annoying? I said, okay, annoying's a good name. I said, do you mind if I talk to annoying? He said, what do you mean? I said, just play with me. I want you to answer questions on behalf of annoying. Okay. So I said, tell me, Mr. Annoying, what is it about Joey that interests you so much that you convince him to think all these thoughts about the exaggeration of things? He thinks for a minute, a little upside down, and he says, well, he's an easy mark. I said, okay, that's a good answer. And Joey is trying to figure out who he's answering on behalf, and he's getting used to it. So I said, so tell me, Mr. Annoying, how often do you influence Joey's life to think in these terms of every pain that he has, that it's exaggerated? He says, well, he's thinking, and he answered on behalf, on behalf of Mr. Annoying all the time. I said, all the time, Joey? He says, yep, every day. I said, Every day, all day long? Yep. Every day, every night. I said, every day and every night, Mr. Annoying, you make him think all these thoughts? He says, yep, that's what I do. Never stopping? He thinks for a minute, he says, yep, 24-7. I said, wow, 24-7? You make him think about every little pain in his body, how it's exaggerated, and you make him... And you make him go to the hospital or you make him feel that it's the worst? His mom says, yep, absolutely, that's what he does. So I said, Mr. Annoying, let me understand something. When Joey first came in today, I asked him what his favorite sport was. And he said, it's basketball. And he told me that he played a great game and that he won. So I'm curious, Mr. Annoying, were you there when the basketball game was being played by Joey? Joey's thinking on behalf of Mr. Annoying, and he says, no, I wasn't there. I said, Mr. Annoying, if you don't mind, I have another question for you. He also said that his favorite, his favorite subject is math. And today he got 112 for 
hundred for the for the excellent mark, and then another five for handwriting, and another five for handwriting on time, and and another two for for uh, whatever. Were you there when he passed the test for 112? Joey thinks and answers on behalf of Mr. Annoying. He says, no, I wasn't there. So I said, so let me understand this, Mr. Annoying. When I asked you, when are you there influencing Joey's life? You said, all the time. To the point where you said, 24-7. Yet, by the basketball game, you're not there. By the math test, you're not there. So, Mr. Annoying, which is it? Can you explain yourself? Joey's thinking on behalf of Mr. Annoying. And at that point, he comes out of his identity of Mr. Annoying and he says, he's not there all the time. I said, really, Joey? Not all the time? You mean not like 24-7? He says, no. He's only there at night. I said, at night like every night? He thinks for a minute and he says, no, just the nights that I'm tired. And which nights are those, Joey? He looks at his mother and he says, which nights am I tired? Those like Thursday nights and Saturday nights? Yeah. So he's not there all the time. He's only there the nights that you're tired. We went on to what I would call deconstruct the story that Joey had about himself of being what he was called a hypochondriac. His family, his friends, everybody who knew him called him that name. And he lived his life as if that's what he was. Because when I asked him the questions in the beginning, when I talked to Mr. Annoying, he says 24-7. That's the perception he had. But when I asked and I listened to the alternative story because I heard a story of him playing basketball. I heard a story of him having, of having a great time in, in doing well in math. I realized the contradiction. And upon making the contradiction visible to Joey, he suddenly realized that there are two stories in his life. One being the dominant one because of everyone influencing him about what he was, contrary to what was really going on in his life. That in reality, the influence of Mr. Annoying was not there all the time. It was just part of the time. So this is a young man. He's 17 years old. He doesn't have the capacity to... He didn't have the time, rather, to marry and to become one with the story of hypochondriasm. So, we lead our lives by stories. Now, when we talk about stories or narratives about our life, it's not just, oh, I have a story about my life, tomorrow I'm going to tell a new story about my life. No. These are, we call them stories, but these are very powerful influences about who we are as human beings and how we make sense of what we do what we do in our lives as far as our professions, as far as our, our growth as human beings, and for young men and young women, boys and girls, 
their stories about who they are in relation to whether they can be successful in their quest to become closer to Yiddishkeit or closer to Judaism or learning well or davening well as we talked the story is what helps them and gives them the ability to continue and grow and hold on to a way that makes sense for them if it's the story that they have that guides them many years ago I came to San Francisco in 1971 and I met a man who had a very successful business garment in the garment industry two different stores would um, take a couple of months to go to Israel to sit and learn in the Kolel very very successful and and great human being one day I'm in Borough Park coming from San Francisco and uh, I'm paying for something and the man looks at my checkbook and he says, oh, San Francisco. He says, uh, you know Yaakov Baruch? I said, yeah. He starts laughing. I said, what are you laughing? He says, ah, what a shlimazel, what a, what a lo yutzlach, what a man that has never had any success in his life. I said, the Yaakov Baruch that I know is a very successful man. So he says, you must know the different, a different man. It's not the same guy. A couple of days later, I go shopping again. The man asks me, where am I from? I said, San Francisco. He says, oh, San Francisco, you know Yaakov Baruch? I said, yeah. He starts laughing again. Same kind of reaction as if this man is like, has no ability to function as a human being. Totally dysfunctional is the word. I don't want to even use the words that they used. I come back to San Francisco I said to Rabbi Yaakov Baruch, you know, I had a very interesting experience in Baruch Park. And he smiles at me, and I start telling him what I experienced. And he said, yeah, it's a true story. He said, I lived my life in Baruch Park, and nothing went right. The story about me in the community was that I could not do anything right. Everything I tried failed. Any business that I would get into didn't work out. And the story sort of became part of the tapestry of the community. And it was weaved into the tapestry of the language that everybody used about me to the point where I felt I just couldn't do anything anymore. It affected who I was in my own tapestry as a human being. I just felt that I could do nothing. And one day... I don't know why, he said. I decided I'm just going to leave. I came to San Francisco. I was over 40. I started a new life. And you know the rest of the story. He was married. He had one child. He married late. He was respected, member of a community, looked up to, lived the life of, of total success. But the constraining story that he had, where he was, was holding him back and was not, he was not able to leave that unless he left the community completely. So this is a 
a very important aspect of our understanding of how humans are constructed in what we are. This is what narrative therapy believes about how we are and what we are. And as we talked, it's constructed by stories about ourselves with words, as we talked about last time, with what we tell our children, how we, how we tell the stories about their lives. And when we have them slowly growing up in front of us and we use words that slowly dot their unsuccess or their success in their ability to be functioning well, to be successful as, as Torah Jews, to be successful as observant Jews, these are storied in how we look at them. And the negative words and the negative stories that we tell and our own beliefs about that negativity affects them and constrains them and sometimes doesn't allow them to grow as successful Jews and human beings. So we label people. Labeling and analyzing is very destructive in human lives, whether it be for children, whether it be for couples, or whether it be in general in the community. And sometimes our communities have a sort of a predilection. We always go there. We, we reach out and we talk about people in, in sort of negative ways. Oh, yeah, they're so-and-so. I don't even want to say what, we, what the words we use in, in, in making less of others. We're very easy in our language, the way we label people about who they are, and we most of the time don't really know who they are. We judge them by one action, by two actions, by two actions, and that becomes the story of who they are. And this is what I call a very thin story, a very, very untrue story about who people are, whereas that becomes the dominant story in people, and then people can't get, leave and sort of escape that constraining story of who they are. So, in Torah, we also have this understanding of the story we tell of people. I would like you to look at the curriculum, number one. It says over there, this is Sfas Emes, where it says, Vehevedon eskolo odam lekafskus. This is the Mishnah in Novis. So, it, it is said in the name of the Chayza of Lublin. The question is, what does it mean, Vehevedon? What do you mean, judge? Who is anyone to judge? Is it, have we, has somebody made anyone into a judge? And is it dependent upon we, what we say? And he answers, It is dependent on this. If one says something meritorious about another human being, from heaven, it is he's also judged meritoriously. The kachagzero, this is a decree. Shetoloi betachtainim kefi mashiyadabu. It is up to what we speak about who people are. Is the way I'm reading it. So we have a Torah that tells us that when we speak about others and how we express ourselves about others children, wives, or people we notice in the community. The way they dress, the way they look, 
the judgments that we make and the labels that we put upon them. I want to tell you a story about my own life. I was maybe eight or nine years old. I remembered the story when I got much older and sort of was reviewing my life. But I was eight years old and someone very close to me called me over and I was a kid that was sort of a little out of it, um, a big dreamer, and called me over and said to me, tell me, who says it over here? It says Avram Yitzchak. How come no Yaakov? And I remember looking at him and saying, what is he talking about? And then he called over a younger little boy and asked him the question, and he answered it like that. Well, Yaakov is saying it. I'm not sure what his intention were, was with that, with that little action that he did, but that played in my mind. It played in my thought about who I was, in my capacity to be able to understand things, to learn, even though that story almost was minimized by me, and I never even thought about it. But looking back when I grew older, and looking back, I realized how much it influenced me in the way I would walk into a classroom, the way I listened, what I thought about myself in my ability to be successful in my learning. So here's one little story that totally marginalized my thinking and my ability to be successful in many of the times that I sat in the classroom and wanted to learn. Wanted to learn because I was influenced by something that said, maybe you're not too smart. Maybe you, you don't know everything because here's a little boy that knew more than you. So, these are stories that make us feel like we're less. But these same stories can be stories that will construct our ability to be able to do anything and to learn what we want because the language that we will use in noticing what we are doing, what our children are doing, what even adults are doing in our lives, that will be empowering of who they are. I want to tell you another interesting little story. This is a story about the Neide Yehuda. Neide Yehuda was a Rav in Prague, and um, he, um, when he came to Prague, there was um, a man by the name of Velvel de Schneider. Velvel de Schneider, he heard, was speaking against the Rav, against the Neide Yehuda. Everybody loved the Neide Yehuda. Velvel de Schneider is going around town speaking uh, less of the rabbi. And the rabbi, Neide Yehuda, found out. He asked uh, Velvel de Schneider to come and talk to him. He comes to see him, and Velvel's embarrassed. And the Neide Yehuda says, I hear you walking around town saying things about me. You don't even know me. Why are you doing that? So Vevel der Schneider says, Rabbi, I apologize. I mean no disrespect. But you have to understand what my position is here. 
I'm, I'm a nobody. The rich man in town came to you with gifts, and you greeted them. The, the learned men in town came to, ta- came to visit you, and you greeted them with the learning that they knew. Who am I? I'm nobody. So you weren't going to pay attention to me. So what did I do? I decided to make a little noise, to make a little trouble. And if I made a little trouble, here I am, I'm being heard by you. I'm facing you right now. So the story goes that the Nader Behuda says, well, it was wrong of you to spread rumors, but I appreciate the intention. So, Velvel de Schneider, in his life then, as the story is told, didn't have to leave town. He was in a ghetto community. And didn't have, a, didn't have any exit signs that said, okay, you don't like your life, you can go to another place. He was in a town, and he wanted to be heard by the Rav, so he made a little trouble. But our children today, when they are not being heard by the Rabbanim, by the teachers, when they're completely misunderstood, or not listened to, or disrespected, because people don't necessarily understand what it is that's going on for them. And then stories are told about them that makes them feel like they're not who they think they are, and that they're not successful in... They don't have atzlacha in their Torah and Aveda and Melaschasodim life that they maybe have an intention of living. So what do they do? They walk away. They leave and they look for alternative successes in who they are. So, what we need to think about as a community and as responsible parents and teachers and general people in the community is that we need to think about what it is that comes out of our mouth We have to honor the words that we speak about people in general, about people in our own lives. We have to be thinking about what it is that pushes kids out of the doors. And I just want to conclude with this. There are some things that push kids out of the doors. So the the main thing, again, is a lack of success in children's lives in their endeavor or in their quest to become observant Jews. There are times when kids have what we call learning disabilities. You know, that you have to check. There are also times when people, kids, are experiencing abuse in their lives. It could be verbal, emotional, or physical, or it could be sexual. And these are all very difficult things to experience. And these things will almost derail a child out of their path towards a successful or Hatzlacha life in, in Torah and Aveda and Lima da Torah. And also when parents unreasonably will impose on children 
without listening to what it is that they're struggling with, will also push them out because nobody's there listening. I have many young boys and girls will tell me that my parents are just not listening. They're not hearing what I have to say. That will push them out the door. They'll say openly, I'm out of here. As soon as I am old enough, I leave. Because I'm disrespected, I'm not listened to, and it's not that they need not respect parents. It's that there has to be a mutual respect to some extent that you need to understand. They can't just be dismissed as if they, they're not there. You can't be dismissive of children without giving them the, uh, giving them the time of day so that they, the, to understand who they are and what it is that they're struggling with. And ultimately, again, it's the words that push kids out. Because I have kids that come in and they'll give me one particular sentence that a teacher or a parent has called them today. And they say, can you imagine? My father called me that. My, 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 my teacher said these words to me today. And I have a difficulty repeating them. I know people like to have them repeated, but I just have a difficulty saying it. They're very constraining words and destructive words that end up pushing our kids out the door. So, again, my hope is that as a community and as a world guided by Torah, we will all hopefully move closer to Torah in a way that is helpful in people's lives and children's lives. Have a great evening. Thank you.